Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. I just sent off two new paintings to the Seattle Art Fair that will be on view with Miles McHenry Gallery. And the gesso on the canvas, the mediums, and the acrylics on those paintings is all from Golden. They make not only the best paint, but far superior matte medium, gels, varnishes, and more. In upstate New York, they make golden acrylics, Williamsburg oils, and most recently, core watercolors. They're an employee-owned company committed to producing the highest quality materials while maintaining a culture of stewardship and community involvement. For more information about Golden, call 1-800-959-6543 or visit goldenpaints.com. Sound Division is brought to you by Charter Coffee House. I just stopped by Charter on Graham Avenue in East Williamsburg and tried the new Middle State Jose Esteban Honduras blend. Its great taste and much-needed caffeine will help me do my podcast, all the preparations, work on a new painting, pick up my son from camp, feed the cats, etc., etc. They have great coffee, breakfast sandwiches, donuts, and more. Find out more at chartercoffee.com or follow them on Instagram at charter underscore BK. Sound and Vision is also supported by Topo Designs. Based in Denver, Colorado, they make great-looking, strong, durable bags that get my mics and computer safely to all my podcasts. They also make clothing and other accessories. Check out their products at topodesigns.com. Kathy Butterly was born in Amityville, New York, and raised primarily in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. Kathy went to the Moore College of Art in Philadelphia for undergrad and UC Davis for graduate school. In 1992, she moved back to the East Coast from California and set up a studio in Hoboken, New Jersey. In 1995, Kathy moved to a loft in the East Village where she currently lives and works with her husband and two kids who are now in college. Kathy's had many solo exhibitions in New York City and Los Angeles and has been included in various group shows around the United States and abroad, notably the 54th Carnegie International in 2004-2005, Figuring Color, Kathy Butterly, Felix Gonzalez-Torres, Roy McMacken, and Sue Williams at the ICA in Boston, Pretty Raw After and Around Helen Frankenthaler at the Rose Art Museum in Massachusetts, and Freaks and Beauties Opener 10, Kathy Butterly at the Francis Young Tang Teaching Museum in Saratoga Springs, New York. In 2014, she was the recipient of a Guggenheim Fellowship Award. In 2012, the Smithsonian American Museum Contemporary Artist Award. In 2009, a Joan Mitchell Foundation Grant. In 2009, a Painters and Sculptors Grant and also a Paula Krasner Foundation Award. In 2002, Anonymous Was a Woman Award a few New York Foundation of Art Awards, and just this year, the Lewis Comfort Tiffany Grant, among others. Her new work can be viewed September 6th through October 14th at the James Cohen Gallery in Chelsea. I met up with Kathy at her loft studio on the heels of her upcoming solo show, and we talked about school, ceramics, music, and more. Here's our conversation. Before it was an option, yeah. now it's gotten to the point to where I, I have to have it. But I'm wearing them all the time now when I read, and it's so nice because I can actually see all the words. It's like crisp, yeah. and I can read really nicely, which 
wasn't the case for a long time. It's going to keep changing because with me, I have to. I wear glasses, and I have like you know basically trifocals, like mm-hmm. far regular and close. Oh, you have progressives. Yeah. Yeah. But in order for me to do the work that I do, the up close stuff, I see so much better with no glasses. Oh yeah. So when I'm working, I <laughs> it's so intuitive. I don't even think about it anymore. My glasses will be at the end of my nose, on the top of my head, on the table. Like they're they're it's like a ballet of like taking my glasses on and off and yeah. it's just so intuitive. I kinda like it. It's a, it adds a tool. Yeah, it's but it is a tool. A tool. You, I used to laugh when people would wear the the chain thing that holds the glasses. Yeah. But now I understand why they do it. I might keep, be doing that, you man. You keep taking them on and off and it's kind of a pain. <laughs> And every time I put them down, like I have one now, I have a pair of reading glasses in my studio. Yeah. And then one in my, by my bed where I read, you know, yeah. I keep them around. Yes. Because they're only $20. You can do that. Yeah. And you just <laughs> keep taking them off and you, I lose them all the time. Like, that happens. But when I'm working on a painting up close, I need them now. I can't do that cutting or that painting and, you know, yeah. not have the glasses. You know, you got to see. You just, you got to do you what know. you got to do. Yeah. But can you, can you get contacts for that are progressive you can i think i've tried those and i i didn't like them mm-hmm. and then the doctor did this trippy thing where i had one um um lens for up close and one lens for far away so y- yeah and so your brain is supposed to equalize them after a little bit of time i i was just like you going, mean in different eyes yeah how does that work it trains your brain to see, like your eyes automatically when you need to focus close it goes you're you're you concentrate you know it's all into it just is in your brain you adapt to it yeah. you adapt and you look through one eye for the close-up and one eye for the far away Weird. but it didn't work for me so i'm i just wear glasses yeah yeah well they look smart thank you <laughs> <laughs> getting pretty tired it's weird because they're a thing on your face yeah. and then in the end they represent you right and it's very weird it's, it is um sometimes i'm like i really don't want to be represented by this like brown or blue or black frame on my face right. but whatever and i don't like that you can see it so especially when i'm driving yeah. i feel like there's a blind area there where i can't see yeah out of it's it. like your car when you first get a new car yeah. or you're renting a car that yeah. thing in the front the is so spots. obtrusive yeah right. you're like this is annoying me but then you get used to it yeah i got clear reading glasses though so which are nice because smart it almost it's like you're not wearing them yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so let's go back to what we were talking about before a little bit with like school and stuff and how you got started yeah so so you grew up in new york though right you not know, new york city but are you I from was, New York? Well, I was born in Long Island. I was born in Amityville. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Wait, where's Amityville? In Long Island. Um, like how far? Not far, kind of. I haven't been there in a gazillion, you know, <laughs> since I was uh, tiny um, to that area. But um, it's like working class, yeah. you know, area. And then um, both my parents were from... Um, Bay Ridge, Red Hook area. They met at Coney Island at the, outside the men's room. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, their idea of, you know, moving on up and getting, you know, doing well was to move to Long Island. And then um, I guess when I was three or four, my family moved to New Jersey. So that's where I was raised in New Jersey. And What parts? You know, it's called Franklin Lakes. So it's like a half hour oh, yeah. west so um, it was a pretty fancy town, but we were definitely not 
fancy people in a fancy town. Right. Um, so for me, I grew up with New York City being like kind of my backyard. Like I had this like great retreat in the country. And then um, I would sneak into New York a lot yeah. as a teenager. And also um, my dad and my mom would we'd come into the city occasionally. And um, I just I thought it was the most exciting place ever. I yeah. just I really wanted to be here. I just I never knew I would. I always wanted to end up here, but didn't know. And at that time growing up, you know, it was like the 70s. New York was like pretty rough. rough. It yeah. was exciting. Like. I remember driving, um, I can't remember if I was in one of those big, you know, round taxi cabs, you know, with oh, the yeah, round yeah. seats yep, that yep. plopped down, which we loved driving right. around when I was a kid. I don't remember if it was one of those cabs or if it was like my dad driving, but I remember we had probably come in for a play or something and we were driving around what I'm pretty sure is um, the Highline area now. Yeah. And I remember it was nighttime. And I saw three hookers with mini skirts and pumps with no shirts on and these big breasts hanging there. Whoa. And I was, uh, my mom's like, don't look, don't look. And I'm like, <laughs> I was looking. Like, I was like, this is so awesome. No, no tops? Yeah, and they had really large breasts. I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen large, like breasts before, like in the real, because I was still like a young kid. And I'm right. like, that's really cool that's really exciting (laughs) (laughs) so new york always kind of it seemed like exciting and you know the suburbs were one thing and um and new york was just completely wild and i kind of wanted to be there isn't it funny like one day i'll show my art in that neighborhood (laughs) you know what's so strange who would have thought who would have thought and who would have thought that you know we're in the east village yeah I used to hang out at um, Tompkins Square, and mm-hmm. I used to go to, um, I'm forgetting what the club was called, Avenue A Club or A Club, and it was right on the corner um, of Tompkins Square Park. And it's I the south to, side of the park, right? Yeah. Yeah. It used to cost a dollar to go in. You could see hardcore bands. Like, it was nice. so hot and sweaty. It was just like a, it was just a little room. And wait, wait, is this when you were living here or before you were living Oh, here? when I was in high school in yeah. New Jersey. I would, so you'd come in? Yeah, I had a fake ID. So I would come in and go to lots of clubs. I went to CBGB's. I went to um, Mud Club, but probably in the 80s, like early 80s, and then um, Pyramid Club. And all this, like for me, growing up in the very protective suburbs Mm -hmm. was... uh, just like opened up my life you know super exciting super exciting and you seen good bands at that point totally totally good bands and then and then I'd go back to school and like be with all my preppy friends in Bergen County yeah 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 Franklin Lakes is really nice it's like spacious and green and I believe it's where the Sopranos mansions were filmed oh really I, I think so yeah it's a very fancy town there's a lot of Yankees or I think Yankee coaches are in Yankee players who live there. I think you're right. Yeah. I still have a few friends that live there. So occasionally go back to visit and nothing has changed. It just like McMansions everywhere or mansions, like literally mansions. But we, you know, my parents were both high school dropouts from Brooklyn Mm -hmm. and um, my dad worked like three jobs and, you know, just, you know, being a deli slicer guy, being a print errand guy and like you know, just worked super hard and managed to get his family over to this like fancy town where they never quite fit in, but, um, you know, provided us with like the most awesome life. Like I had a a childhood with like 
a lot of freedom, yeah. which I totally like. They just they had really hard childhoods, like really really rough times, and they just wanted to like have a great family and did everything possible to like support us. And like you know, I've run run into so many like. I mean, you don't hear about it now anymore, but like when I was going to school, like undergrad, there were people there who like their parents did not want them to go to art school. Like you can't go to art school. And so they would pay for their own tuition to go to art school. My parents, you know, I was the first person to go to like four year college, like in our entire family. Like my mom was one of 13 Mm -hmm. Irish Catholic. So um, I was the first one to go to college and I, I was going to art school. Yeah. And they totally supported me. They're like, whatever makes you happy. And I think because they had such a hard, rough childhood that to see somebody to enable me to have a life of from my heart was like a life of choice. Yeah. Not you got to work this crap job because you got to pay the bills, but you want to do something that you love to do. So go do it. Yeah. I had the same parents. Isn't that great? Because they didn't really. I mean, my dad went to college, I think, for two years that was local. Yeah. But didn't like really go to school you know what I mean he didn't like go and major and get a job in that yeah so when I went to school I was in pre-med and then I switched to art and they were like that's great do what you want to do just work hard at it yeah whereas other parents would be like no what you know they would like if you're going to college you got to major in something that's going to pay off exactly and um I never had that and I have had um I teach one class over NYU and I've taught here and there occasionally Mm -hmm. And there's some students, like before, like, you know, years ago, who'd be like, oh, my parents don't want me to take art classes because it's a waste of money. Yeah. You know, now the art world is actually a place where you could survive and some people are making a lot of money. So mm-hmm. you don't hear that so much anymore. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Mm. I still hear it with my students. Oh, you do? Yeah. That their parents don't want them to there's be like, artists. There's pressure. And I think part of that, too, is that it's more expensive to go to school these days than it was when we did. Oh my so, God. you know, there's like, well, what am I going to do with this? Which is... a valid question it's totally valid how am i going to pay off this giant debt i don't think a lot of people can yeah (laughs) the debt i don't know like we were talking about this earlier um i graduated i went to more college of art for undergrad so that was four years took two years between undergrad and grad and then went to grad school at uc davis Mm -hmm. and i graduated with um basically no debt um i mean maybe like it really was probably like $2,000. Yeah. I think I said four before, but like $2,000. And um, and when I graduated, I had nothing. I had zero money, nothing. Um, so how do you how do you become an artist? Like how do you set up a studio and have equipment and, and the time to put into your art if you're in $80,000 in debt? Like I don't know how people are going to do it. And when we came here, I mean, you were here before me, but it yeah. was still a lot cheaper, too. So now it's really, um, like, studio costs are so expensive that yeah. I, I don't know how you, I mean, you just, you, the strong survive, and, like, if you're really into it, you find a way. You yeah. Know? But yeah. it's certainly not as conducive. When I first, um, all right, so I was in grad school for two years in California and then lived for, there for, like, another year and a half and just kind of felt like, I didn't see myself living there for the rest of my life. I didn't have any roots there. My family was on the East Coast, and I love California, but I kind of felt like I was up in the Bay Area, and I kind of could see where my life was going to go. It seemed very predictable. So I came back to the East Coast, which took my whole world opened up at that point. But 
I drove cross country um, in my pickup truck with my kiln and my cat and my glazes. And um, I ended up in Hoboken, New Jersey. And that's because my brother um, was living there. He um, he designed skateboards. Mm-hmm. He's an artist too, but oh, cool. uh, he's not there anymore. But that's where I went because I wanted to come back to the East Coast, but I was afraid of New York. I was like, how am I going to maneuver New right. York? Like I have a pickup truck yeah. <laughs> and a kiln. And um, so I moved to this place called the Leather, uh, the Newman Leather Factory. Mm-hmm. And In Hoboken. Yeah, yeah. And it's still there. It's right next to the train tracks. Um, and a lot of artists had spaces in that building, um, but it was also still a factory. So below me, they were making fake fur coats, mm-hmm. and above me was another factory. And then I had this studio, which was amazing. It was like 900 square feet and three windows that faced Manhattan. I could see Manhattan, nice. and all the electricity that I needed uh, to fire my, my work, mm-hmm. the, the one downside was there was no water. <laughs> Well, there's a few downsides. <laughs> there was no water. There was water at, in a public bathroom down the hall. Mm-hmm. But I, I lived in this um, in this space. Oh, yeah. And it no was... No shower? Well, not even walls, in a way. It was, there was um, sheetrock. When, uh, my walls were sheetrock, so that went up eight feet. And above that was chicken wire. <laughs> so it was open to other... You know, you could hear people walking down the hall. Mm-hmm. And I had a tiny little lock, uh, like a... Um, I don't know, just a a flimsy little lock on my door. So it was totally illegal to live there. And so I had no water. So the water was down the hall and it was in a one stall bathroom. And, um, there was a toilet, a drain in the, in the floor and then a sink with cold water. And so when the workers would go home, I would shower. I took a hose to the spigot and turned on the cold water and just hosed myself off oh. every night. And I waitressed. So that's how I got to eat. Mm-hmm. So um, I waitressed at this horrible place. But so every day I'd like wring out my white waiter shirt and then hang it up and then hose myself off with cold water. And um, but I have to say that was like one of the best times of my life mm-hmm. because I had driven cross country with my materials. I was going to as close as I felt comfortable to New York and I had a studio and I, I lived my, my food, I had a futon on the floor near my kiln. Yeah. So like I was really like living, I was an artist. Yeah. That's what you were doing. That's all that's, you had really. Yeah. I, I was an artist and I was so happy because I waitressed, I made art and that was it. And, um, and, there was the janitor of the building came up to me one day and he's like, he really liked me. And he's like, there seems to be a little leak from the bathroom downstairs. Do you have any idea what that's about? And I was like, no, (laughs) (laughs) but that's when also, um, Tom and I started dating and, um, he had this great, um, apartment that had been his dad's Mm -hmm. when he moved here in 1937 or 35. And it was a five-story walk-up on 21st Street. Uh, I think it was between 5th and 6th or 6th and 7th. And so that's where he lived. And um, after we started dating, um, I think it was after like two weeks, he's like, do you want to move in with me? And I was like, yes. Yes, (laughs) yes, I love you, but you have a shower and you have a table. Like I was so impressed that he had a table to eat on because I was not, I didn't even have a table. So he, he was like, you know, living the highlight for yeah, me. Yeah, the little things. <laughs> like a surface yeah. to put food on. Yeah, like... A, other than the floor. Yeah, like a warm shower. So anyway, so then I had my studio in Hoboken and um, lived in New York with Tom. And um, yeah, 
It's funny how little you need at first, though, because I had the same situation. When I first <sighs> moved here, I was in a loft that, you know, it was like a small room, but it was big enough to have a studio in it. And I had a futon, my CDs, yeah. some a little bit of clothes that were from a thrift store and just art supplies. But that's all I needed. It's all you need. Yeah. You know, Tom and I, um, before we had kids, we, um, we, we used to travel a lot. We mm-hmm. used to do backpack throughout Southeast Asia. Actually, we both used to backpack through th- Southeast Asia before we even knew of each other. So, oh, really? Yeah. So you had uh, something in common. We, yeah, we even were in, um, Sing- it turns out we were in Singapore at the same time. Uh, it was like 1987, I think. Backpacking? Yeah. yeah, and we didn't know each other, and we both took the same very obscure photograph of a guy getting his guts ripped out, like over a pot of boiling oil. Whoa. It was in the Tiger Bomb Gardens, and in... <laughs> 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 whoops, it's okay. probably a telemarketer. Sorry, that's okay. Um, yeah, so we have the same interests in a way. Like out of all the sculptures that you could take a picture of. We took the same one. <laughs> oh, it's a sculpture. For a second, I thought yeah. it was like something a, that a happened. Real thing. Oh my God! No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I was yeah. gonna say that's that's intense. Yeah. But even as I a think, sculpture, I'm yeah, sure it was yeah. It intense. was a sculpture. It was in like a theme park, and we both took the same picture. And so um, it, we were just like, whoa! Out of like all the thousands of like horrible things that could happen to you in life, like yeah. we both took the same picture. That's so so funny. yeah. So anyway, and you um, didn't learn about that until much later on, I imagine. Yeah. 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 We were just like comparing pictures. Right. Um, oh, you were there. Oh, that yeah. year. Yeah. It was time? so weird. There were so many times that we were supposed to meet each other. Yeah. And we never did, and it was a good thing because if we had met earlier, we never would have been married. Like it was the right time for yeah. us to be together. We made all our mistakes on other people. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> it is important. <laughs> so um, what I was getting at is when we were in India, um, there. There was, you know, we had this amazing time traveling, and then when we got back to New York, we just felt like it was so empty here. And, yeah. and like, you you realize when you're over there, you don't need anything. And we were, like, the streets in New York seemed so large and empty compared to India. And then in India, you realize, like, you don't need much to get by. So that's the whole thing. Like, we were looking at all the stuff we have, we have, and we're like, we don't need all this stuff. Yeah. But now we're here with kids, and we have a lot of stuff. Well, things change. <laughs> they do change. Yeah, kids will add yeah. to your repertoire of, like, owning things. Yeah. Yeah. When I first was like, oh, well, you know, we have these little babies, like, we're not going to have any plastic toys. There's going to be, you know, we're going to like have them make things. And it's like that flew out the window right yeah. away. Yeah. I mean, Legos are like probably the ultimate toy. They're amazing. They're so good. And they still fill, have them. Yeah. Our apartment's filled with them. Yeah. Those are good toys. I also was, I, I was talking to somebody the other day about some of my favorite toys went from childhood and mm-hmm. color forms. Do you remember color forms? Do you remember what those are? Are those like shake and bakes? No, they're, um, they're just pieces of um, pliable, like acrylic or like pliable plastic that comes in a in a one color sheet, and then there's um, like rectangles, squares, circles that are cutouts, mm-hmm. and you peel them off, and it's kind of like um, like paper dolls or something, but it's just shapes, and so you start making patterns out of um, the color forms, I don't think and I then ever when you yeah when you're done. You just put them back in their place, and they're ready for the next time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I never had those. Oh, they should come back. <laughs> Are they in super bright colors? Yes, yeah. primary colors. Yeah. It, they were, um, I've actually, um, I've thought about them a lot in my work. So yeah. it's just like applying 
forms of color, which is really interesting. Great segue into talking about your work. <laughs> you know what? And I didn't mean that, but... It all started with color forms. Yeah, and it all started with childhood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Actually, when my kids were little, I mean, now they're 17 and 20, but um, I, I used to think, like, well, if I wasn't an artist, toys would be really cool to design. Like, there's oh, yeah. forms. Like, they're, they're, they're interesting. Actually... I think shoes would be a cool thing to design too, like because they're sculptural. They're so cool. (laughs) And there's function and form and and also creativity involved. And non function. Yeah. (laughs) Some of the shoes are just You could put giant wings on them and they'll sell hundreds of thousands of them. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it's the toys are yeah, you have an idea. It's it's like a lot of things. You have an idea of like, oh I'm only gonna do this or I'm gonna subject them to this or that. And then it you know it's amazing the will, the sort of unconscious collective will of kids and what they're going to be into or what they want to do and they just go with it. You know what I mean? And like, I'm, we've heard it a million times that people are like, well, I'm only going to get gender neutral toys yeah. or I, I'm not going to, you know, buy certain things for my son or whatever. Yeah. But they just, a lot of times they just gravitate towards, I mean, my, my kid, he loved cars. Yeah. Yeah. It's and my daughter loved Polly Pockets, like yeah. their little dolls. You know, it just, this is like a good exercise or it's a good way of realizing like it's like when you're a parent or like in life, Mm -hmm. you, you have to go with the flow. You know, if you're going to get anywhere and if you're going to enjoy your life, you have to go with the flow. You have to allow um, people to have a say (laughs) in in, in their growing up. If you want them to be their own people too. Yeah. You know, do you really want to raise you? in God, a new no. version of you <laughs> like I there's so many times where I'm like yeah that's not what I would do but all right whatever <laughs> you know what I mean like, yeah yeah that's your thing you yeah know? and it's interesting because you learn you learn yeah. a lot yeah definitely so yeah so when you were a kid you were playing with color forms did you draw a lot did you do a lot of other creative things totally yeah totally in um, Franklin Lakes in Franklin Lakes actually this is like going like back to kindergarten mm-hmm. um my it was my um my kindergarten teacher who told my mom like you know i think you should get your daughter some art lessons she's really creative that's cool it was really strange so somebody had brought in these oddly shaped um pieces of styrofoam Mm -hmm. and the teacher called me over and was like what should we make out of these and it looked like a rocket um but i said i was i remember this i'm like oh we should make um bumblebees out of it we should put the little um Oh, what are those metal things that a clasp? Those metal clasps that hold um, stacks of paper together. I oh, think. yeah, yeah. What are those called? I mean, they're, they're so not paper clips, but the ones you squeeze. Yeah, right? they're very obsolete. They're very old-fashioned. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're called. Yeah, I don't those either. Things. Clasps. I don't. Yeah. So those were eyes, and then you know, I, I came up with this whole way of making these bumblebees, mm-hmm. and um, I I vividly remember it. And so my mom did. She went out and signed me up for art lessons. That's really cool at because that I feel young like age. That doesn't. <laughs> happen quite as often like if you have like a four-year-old who's belting out tunes all the time you're like get them vocal lessons they obviously love to sing and people will do that yeah but with art sometimes it's like oh they just like to draw and then won't actually get them lessons or yeah you know push them in that direction so that's pretty cool that she did that and my mom used to sit with me and make paper dolls a lot like Mm -hmm. that's what she did when she was a child so just like make paper dolls and like cut out the outfits and I always was um drawing and and doing things yeah yeah, so. so it started early. It did start early, yeah. And um, I remember also, like, my uh, growing up, 
you know, when you have birthday parties and stuff, there was this, I always invited this one girl over <laughs> because I, she always gave art supplies as gifts. So I'm like, yeah, oh, nice. you are coming to my birthday party. I said that one year she gave, she didn't give an art supply. I was so bummed. I, like I wanted coloring, I wanted crayons and colored paper from her because mm-hmm. that's what she gave everybody. And I think I got like, you know, like, I don't know, um, you know, a game board or something that year and I was like oh threw it off the table this is bullshit I remember I was so disappointed I wanted the the craft paper like colored craft paper like I don't know it was it expensive or I didn't have it so yeah I don't know (laughs) things you remember right this exotic gift that came from a friend Mm -hmm. that's cool or didn't right yeah (laughs) one year didn't so you took lessons and then in school, were you into art class? Did you have a good art teacher? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So the, it was interesting because um, I started off, I wanted to start off doing, I, I went into the um, the art, what was it? It was an old, um, an old railway station was like the little art house mm-hmm. in like a couple towns over from where we grew up. And I think the class started at eight o'clock on Saturday morning. So my mom, we'd get up early and she'd drive me to class and I walked in and the downstairs people were doing oil paintings. Oh, yeah. And then, because I was so young, I had private lessons and I went upstairs and um, I had to do charcoal and pencil and pastels. And I really didn't want to do that. I wanted to be downstairs doing oil paintings. Um, That's the fun stuff. Well, because it was everybody else was doing it. Why couldn't I do it? But I had to learn, you know, so he made me like learn whatever. I can't remember. I was tiny. Um, and then I finally got to go downstairs uh, years later and do oil painting. And then I remember seeing in National Geographic's like some abstract painting. And so I'm like, I want to do that. Oh, He's like, cool. no, no, no. You have to do landscapes and still lives. <laughs> so like Mr. Miyagi, you got to earn your stripes. Yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and it ended up he was my um, high school art teacher oh, la- really? later on. Yeah. And so in high school, um, I, I was part of the AP art class but I was also like I was totally into sports Mm -hmm. but I was also like a total like pot smoker so I was like a pot smoking jock artist punk (laughs) you got all bases covered (laughs) I did and (laughs) I looked so innocent but I got away with like so many things (laughs) <laughs> Must have been popular though. You had you got I was in the touch mi- points to mm, everyone. Well, I was I get, I used to have very, very motherly handwriting, so I could write everybody their skip notes, like oh, to get, get out of class. Yeah. yeah, no, it definitely was not like the popular kid. I was like the middle, like the middle range kid, like slightly invisible. Slightly invisible. That's good. That's it, a good place to be. Yeah, and that's kind of like how I feel like I am right now. Like in like in. In terms of like not invisible, but like in between, I like being in between things, yeah. you know. Yeah, so. it's not good to always be the one in the spotlight, especially like in high school. Yeah, well, there's a lot of freedom in in being um, not noticed <laughs> in under a certain the, way. under the radar. Under that's the great, that's the word. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of like in terms of being an artist too. Like when you're like um, in the middle of materiality, or I don't know how to describe it. Like. Um, you're allowed to have a lot of freedom. Yeah. It's great. It's really good. No, I think it's, it's, it must be really hard to be very, very successful and in the spotlight all the time. Don't you think? Like I if you're an artist who's like blown up and there's all this attention paid to everything you do and yeah. then you know, it's only going to be for a little bit before they start saying you're, you're old or washed up or you're terrible or whatever it is. I, I can imagine. Like I, I think that, um, having all that attention, it, it, you have to really stick to your guns and just like 
be in your studio and be mindful. And I think if there's so much pressure on you, how do you do that? Like, yeah, because that's in your head. Yeah. In other words. Yeah. Like if you're under the radar, you're able to do your thing and there's not all this pressure or, you know, there's a little more freedom mm -hmm. to wiggle, I imagine. I mean, it's not like you don't want the attention, but you just have to, I think, I think I guess what I'm getting at is like if attention comes really early, it could be dangerous. But yeah. like once you have your practice and you know who you are and you can um, pace yourself and, you, and you, you, you know what you want from your work, what you personally need to get from it. Then you're ready. Yeah. Then you're ready. And you so. won't flip-flop or make big changes or whatever. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I'm ready yeah. for that moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's not coming, but I'm ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many artists that are ready for it. Yeah, yeah. just waiting for that train to come. It's like, is it, yeah. it going to come by here anymore? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's so many good artists, yeah. yeah. But it, so... When you were in high school, you were taking, were you making like Frankenthalers and Motherwells and was he allowing you at that point to be no, abstract? and I wasn't there either. Like I, I remember, um, I don't know what we did. I, I, my mom still has this one hand that I made out of some crazy material. It's like, I don't know, like it's not, it's like styrofoam and plaster poured together. It's, I don't know what the material is, but I, you get, we got a block of it and you had to carve something from it. Mm -hmm. So I carved a hand with a hole in it so it would hold something. And I realized even then I was making vessels. Like I was oh, making, yeah. I've always been very drawn to a form with a void in it. Even when Why I, is that? I, it's my thing. It's, it's, it's my, it's my canvas. It's my, it's just the thing that I don't, you know what? The answer is I'm drawn to it because I don't know. You know, it's the thing that the keeps... The mystique of it, in yeah. a way? Yeah. It, you know, for me, there's so much... It represents figure. It represents the unknown. There's like a, there's three levels of space. There's the interior. There's the actual form. The, there's the exterior. Mm -hmm. There's so much about this like vessel form. And historically, you know, it's important to... Just, I think everybody gets it. It's just, it's universally accepted as figure. Yeah. So, and and I think when they're like a, a vessel and they're open, also there's like a life force in it. I know, I know it sounds kind of corny, but I like know, I know there's this, there's, there, it's a special space that's only unto itself. Like mm -hmm. we, we're living in this big chaotic world, but these small forms, like I'm talking about my work right, right now, I'm right. looking at it. You know, inside, it's a quiet place that is only unto that space. Yeah. And that's kind of special. And you're creating that, yeah. which is different than finding it or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. I'm, al I'm allowing that space to be in this world that's unique unto itself. Right. Oh, I kind of like that. It's like in a <laughs> song, the, the in between the notes or something, like the space in between. You know the what I mean? The pause. Yeah. 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 That can be filled by the audience or by ears and I don't know. Yeah, you know, that I, might be a stretch, but I just wrote something like I actually it's on the table over here somewhere. I wrote something the other day. Like I write notes all the time. Like mm -hmm. um, I listen to public radio a lot while I'm working and I'm constantly taking notes like just little sticky notes. Mm -hmm. And I have them all around the room a lot. Um, but I wrote something when I was thinking about um, I don't know if I was listening to the radio or just thinking about my work. And I wrote down that like the importance of not making a mark like is as important as making the mark so like i'm trying to finish up some pieces and sometimes it seems really important to for me or in the past at least my my thinking's changing is to have a lot of balance in the work and symmetry 
And now I'm finding it really like much more important to leave something out because that you're as a viewer, you kind of finish it off anyway. You finish that line right. and you're in your head. But also there's something great about leaving something not there. It's as important as putting it, it there. I agree. Yeah, it's really interesting. I and it takes restraint to do that too. It sure does. And I yeah, and I think that um I I that's what we were talking about before. Like you, you never get bored of doing things or thinking or looking at art because there's always something new that's interesting to you at that moment. Yeah. Um, I think that the idea too of leaving some things out these days is even more applicable because there's so, it's so easy to fill everything. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, like I remember, not I bring up music analogies a lot. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, using a four track to record mm-hmm. and then you had four tracks. Yeah. You know, you can only do four and then you could layer, but it was limited. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's endless. I could go on GarageBand and have a thousand, fourteen million tracks, and you could just drag loops over and add things. And yeah. the restraint, you know, like if I hear a song nowadays where it's a guitar, bass, and drums, it's it feels like wow, that's yeah. There is something so important about holding back because we are in this world now where we can pretty much have anything we want at the click of a button. Mm -hmm. Like you can order anything, you can see anything. So there is something great about like having restraint. Yeah. I love it. When I was walking up to the building, there were two construction workers ahead of me and the one was chastising the other guy for sharing too much on social media. Not, he said it in a different way than I'm saying it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Construction worker talk. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to have that out in the streets, you know, but I love it. It's like, you know, the idea of restraint is everywhere. Like, you know, it's so easy to just put everything out there or just fill it. Or yeah. Go yeah. overboard. You're, you're on mark. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's also, it feels very powerful mm-hmm. not to share everything. It's like, it's kind of nice, like, to have privacy. Yeah. It's <laughs> a luxury. It is. And time is a luxury. Like, you're talking about that pause in between notes, like, I feel like um, time is just something that I don't, I guess we think about it, but we think about like, oh my God, I have so much to do. I don't have enough time. But Mm -hmm. like just the time like to be in your headspace and like to be working is just like allowing yourself that time, that pause to just be here now and just like be only with your work or only with your thoughts. It's such a rarity. And it's it something is. like for me personally, like I like that's my greatest luxury in life is to just like be in my studio alone. It's my happy place. Like I like being alone in my studio and I'll I'll spend um, like I mean, this is pretty honest. Like when I do some of the larger works now with the, the what looks like a strand of beads around mm-hmm. it, um, that can take three weeks of just sitting here carving each little bead and then applying the glaze and it seems ridiculous in a way but they work because I put the time into them right. and they they wouldn't feel right otherwise and and also it's all about like how I feel about it and I'd feel like a fraud if I tried to make them quicker or if you had eight people in here carving them I for you I couldn't do it yeah because that's where my thoughts come from too like when when I'm working that's where I make all the connections and thoughts like I, I couldn't have anybody make my work with me yeah yeah it's tough it is. It's a real. It's a luxury. Were there there artists that you looked at, you know, as you were coming of age in your work that did sort of reduce things down that seemed really refreshing to you? Yeah, definitely. I think the people that I really gravitated towards, like you know, when I was going to college and um, 
and, and really decided I love clay and uh, was learning the language of, of clay and whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, really gravitated towards um, Ken Price and Ron Nagel. Yeah. I mean, because they were both working with um, kind of a cup form as as their vehicle for sculpture mm-hmm. and gave themselves a, a defined area to work within. And I kind of um, I gravitated towards that because it felt right to me. So that's kind of what I've been doing for many, many years. I mean, my work's getting larger now, which is feeling very right. Um, but um, I've used the same form over and over again. And I love that it's a ready-made. So I start with like a ready-made form and I've just been working with the same form over again. And I find that it's actually not limiting. It actually opens up a lot of doors because then you have to really um, push each piece out of your comfort zone and learn your materials and learn the dialogue of, 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 of color and form. And I feel like it's by limiting yourself, it's actually like not limiting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a coincidence that those people you mentioned happen to show in the quote unquote like New York gallery, fine art canon more so than a lot of other ceramicists? You know, I think it's it's a mindset. I yeah. think that first of all, they have they they don't think of themselves as like you know potters ceramic or you know artists. ceramic artists. Yeah. They're artists, yeah. and they just happen to use clay. Right. So um, I I think you know Ken Price famously um, was asked one time like, "Is your work art or craft?" And he answered, "Yes." That's like yeah. pretty brilliant because there is a craft in every aspect of art making. There's of course, a craft yeah. of painting. There's a craft of whatever. So you know he never saw himself in the like craft world at all. Um, it's just because it's the material he was placed by others in that world for a while. But um, you know he was very clear about like where he wanted his works shown and how mm-hmm. he wanted them shown. So. Um, I, I gravitate th- to those guys because they have like a lot of the same ideas that I had. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it funny though? It's just because you can drink out of it or eat off of it. Oh, it's so bizarre. That's really the only reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? That or, or you think about anyway. like the toilet, you know, like yeah. it's, it's, you know, Thomas Crapper invented the toilet. That's where <laughs> you get the word crap from. But it's like, you know, there's, there's, it's a utilitarian material. Like it's used for, um, for things that we eat off of and use, um, it's used um, in his in historically in a lot of sculptures. It was used as a maquette. Yeah. Um, well, so is canvas too, though. If you think yeah. about it, we sail with it. We cover yeah. like fabrics. You know. Oh, that's great. I like hearing this. And you know, when you stretch a canvas, it's very crafty. Yeah. Get into like making the corners just right. And yeah. <laughs> so I think it, like I was so when when um, Ken Price, you know had his first show at Matthew Marks. Yeah. I was just like, yay, 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 yay. But I feel like there are a lot of ceramicists who get kind of, I don't know, they they have a bias against that kind of, the sort of maybe unrefined, sort of artistic, loose, you know, which is, I guess you get the same thing though in painting or sculpture too, right? Yeah. You have your more formalist sculptors who are like, yeah. you know, they see a Jason Meadows sculpture and they're like, dude, that's just like a, ladder from Home Depot cut and yeah. you know splayed in half or whatever or painters who are you know that doesn't look realistic or whatever I think it's true that's the same thing yeah there's like uh, the sloppy ones and then the neat ones and <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean I imagine in looking at work too I imagine you're probably more so 
looking at people like, I don't know, Laura Owen, Suzanne McClellan or, or Terry Winters or people like that, then, yeah. you know, traditional cellian glazed ceramics totally. from Korea or something. Totally. That Terry Winters show that was just up. At Matthew Marks, yeah, yeah. So good. I know. Oh my, that really, really got, I love that show. Um, Speaking of someone who had like, who blew up and then has been able to sustain over a long period of time and still make interesting, you know what I mean? Yeah. He just didn't like blow up and then yeah. disappeared. Yeah. He just well, keeps going. That show, when I was looking at his mark making and, and whatever, like, I was like, you know, he earned all this. Like, th- you, if somebody came into the gallery who wasn't aware of painting or his art or whatever, they could say, oh, it's just kind of slapped on there. But they were so considered. Everything yeah, was just so, so earned. Yeah, <laughs> those are pretty, I, I think they're pretty solid. They were great. They would hold up to any viewer, I think. Well, not any viewer, I, but you know yeah, what I mean. I, yeah, yeah. Most viewers. I think, yeah, yeah. But you look at a lot of painting, I'm sure. I totally look. That's where I go. You know, I go to the museum. I go. I go look at painting first. And um, you know, early on when I first started working with clay, of course, I was like trying to figure out how to make them, and I was looking at vessel forms. And and of course, George Orr always comes up. Um, I love George Orr, mm-hmm. and um, you know, he was an absolute genius at what he did. And um, you know, his forms were amazing, and they had a lot of meaning in them, and they had a lot of feeling, like. You know, they really evoked a life and, and movement. And um, so anyway, that's the form part. But what now I most, I mean, I, I, I start my, my pieces out thinking about form, but then that's the early part. And then I really start thinking about like color and plane and how to get these things to work three-dimensionally, but with color. Yeah. Um, it's funny because the form, the expressiveness of the form, like if this were an abstract painting, mm-hmm. you would feel like, oh, it's the paint being pushed around. But since it is clay and it's yeah. it's shadowing the form of a vessel, it looks like, you know, a pot got into a bar fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And got abstract painted. You know what I mean? It's funny how physical the manipulation of what one would believe was an altruistic form of that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. what that would look like if it were just, you know, a straightforward vessel or something. But in that, and you know what I mean? You can actually see or feel the pushing and tweaking and working of it. The pain that they go through to become what they are. Yeah. <laughs> or is it relieving to be like, yeah. do you ever see the dot in the line? Remember that cartoon? There's a Chuck Jones cartoon dot about line. A, a line who's trying to, who falls in love with a circle and, but the line's too stiff, but he has to learn how to like form himself into arabesques. And then he's like relieved and rejuvenated oh, and expressive. I love that thought. But maybe that breaking away from that strict form yeah. is relieving. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I kind of feel like with, with my forms, what I'm doing is they all start from a very, like it, they're a found object. They're like, a, you know, I, it's a generic form that I, I have a mold made out of. And then I just, I cast it and I manipulate the form until I find something, until mm-hmm. like, it's like a Rorschach. And when I see something in it, then I work with it. So I feel like I enable like these very generic forms to become what they want to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They find their way. They find their through way. Through process. And it is really process yeah. work in a way. Yeah. Definitely. Just like abstract painting is, a lot of it's based on the process of manipulating yeah. form, color, texture, 
Shame. And like we were talking about kids before, it's like going with the flow because like, you know, at a certain point when you, you can't control them, you have to allow them to happen. Sorry, like they, they, yeah, I know, but they have to, they, you know, they start telling you what they want and then you have to kind of go with it. Like you go where the form wants for to be se- taken. For a second, I thought you're like, you just got to <laughs> squeeze them and no, 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 you, you know, you wrestle them into submission. It's actually, it's actually a very lovely, sensual like um, process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the, the um, yeah. So when they come out of a mold, they look grisly, and then I I start like poking and prodding and like making them become other shapes, and they're cracked and they like they look terrible. Um, they have big things sticking out of them or holes. So then I have to patch and repair, and then I have to start carving them down so that they feel very alive and feel very. Um, beautiful so like I really start with like the initial form trying for it to be like kind of exquisite and gorgeous so that I can add like the chaos to it right. <laughs> as I go along build the foundation of like yeah start out with some like it starts out being very ugly and then I try to like when I when I like if I'm looking at some of the smaller ones in particular like when I'm thinking of when I finally capture the form like when it finally feels right it's like a like an exquisite three-dimensional line drawing. Like mm-hmm. I look at them as like they're line drawings and then, you know, that top lip needs to be just right. And then I can like obliterate it later, but I have to start with something that feels very uh, right from the beginning. I can understand. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have little micro um, dialogues between chaos and control and all that in you my do. work as we well, do. but it's totally different. But you know what I mean? It's It's yeah. like... Sometimes we have this intuitive thing where we have to do a certain amount of something to license ourselves to do the other thing. To so it. true. We you have know. so many rules. It's weird we, though. Yeah. It's not like there's no handbook for it. Yeah. No one gives a shit if we do that or not. Isn't it the greatest <laughs> when you like realize that you had a rule and you just broke it and yeah. you feel so liberated and you're like, wait, for so many years I wasn't like allowed to have a left angle. Like, yeah, I just made that up. But like, right. for so many years I didn't allow myself to do this. Why? Yeah. But that was your rule. And then when you break them, it's like, it's so liberating. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes you can even come back to it, and yeah. then it feels good to try it again to limit yourself in a weird way. And yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It, yeah, it's very bizarre the way we think. <laughs> it is. It's like it's a whole different way of working yeah. than any other way, I think. It's so weird. Like, I remember, um, were you here for 9-11? I was. You were, yeah. So I remember I, um, boy, my daughter was just not even, well, she was one, and my son was three. And um, so I had been working on a body of work. And the day before, I thought it looked like, you know, fun. Like, I liked the work. It was lightweight. And then the next day, um, when I went into the studio, everything looked apocalyptic. Like, all the works, like, if anything had a straight edge, it looked like an I-beam to me. So it was, like, amazing how, like, events can change the work that you're working on. And then I was thinking how can I even work? Like, this is, like, working in the studio is the most ridiculous thing right now. Like, you know, um, we're we're going through hell right now. It's just, like, really difficult in the city because, you know, definitely we're downtown and we were, like, lockdown zone and, you know, it's scary. Yeah. And, um, and then I found it to be, like, I had to be in the studio. Like, that made sense to me. Like, that was what was holding me together. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, you go through that initial... 
I mean, I think everyone has that. I see with yeah. students a lot of times where they're like, well, is it irresponsible to be painting circles right now when, yeah. you know, this is happening in yeah. our society? But it's you're either addressing it or you're escaping, in a way, escaping from it to create something beautiful or something that's yeah. productive in a positive way. So yeah. We all have our roles. I think yeah. so, yeah. yeah. If everyone was a political artist, I mean, geez. <laughs> what, what did, where were you when... Uh, um, I was so I lived over in Williamsburg and my I lived where I worked yeah and I remember I was my wife was in Miami for work uh, and I had been painting up till like three or four in the morning because yeah. hey no one's there you yeah. know what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. studio hours go all night yeah so I was painting really late and I slept in and then she called and woke me oh, up you and didn't said, even know no she said turn uh, on the TV and that uh, was after the first plane hit but yeah they didn't really know yet yeah so I went up to the roof and then I saw the second plane. Hit I the, did the same yeah. thing. I went up to the roof. I mean, it's just the thing you do. Like, if you have yeah. a view of the city, then you're like, oh, I'll go look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Which was not a great thing to do. No, it wasn't. But, yeah, I was here for that. I mean, it was traumatizing. I mean, I, every time I went over the bridge for, like, a year. You cried? I was, no, I was, like, terrified, like nervous. Yeah. I had this thing where, um, and it happened for years, Anytime I go by a fire station, I cry. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't go down to um, Lower Manhattan for like four years. I just it's couldn't hard. Do it. Couldn't do it. Even now when you see the plaques next. I mean, so you, hard. time definitely heals the wound in a way. I mean, you still think the about it. The scar is still there. It's yeah. still there, but you it's you just feel removed from it. You know what I mean? I mean, because my thing when I was a kid was the challenger. Like, we saw uh, that. Were you in class then? I was in school. Uh. We were in an auditorium, and mm. we saw it. Yeah, oh, and just then, chills. Yeah, and they were like, okay, everyone leave. You know, we didn't kind of, I mean, yeah. we knew sort of, but it was like, what? What just yeah. happened? Because yeah. I was young, you know? Yeah. And that was the thing that kind of like burned into my retina. So when I see it now, there's this weird like familiarity to it, and there's like a beauty to it in a way, but it's like devastating at the same time. It's strange. It's like, weird. Yeah. Like and I just watched a special on the guy, the Japanese-American astronaut who was on there who went on the mission before went up safely mm. and they brought up his daughter's soccer ball that the team all signed and mm. it survived the crash no. and they have it like they no. have it in wow like nasa has it and that you could still read the signatures oh, and stuff. somehow it so survived crazy. it yeah but it was like gave me like again gave me the chills yeah it, it's like um like hawaii right now like or i guess yeah, yeah. the volcano's over but like it was so beautiful. Unbelievably so beautiful. So beautiful. But then it was so destructive. It's, you know. That's my, honestly, for me, that's my work in a yeah, nutshell. It's yes, all about the yeah. beauty and like the sort of the danger or the, you know, the, it, it's the balance of the two things. Yes. Because yeah. we've, I mean, it exists in nature too. Like forest fires do great things for the environment technically yes. but they can kill people and destroy homes but yeah. it's the way the earth rejuvenates the soil and yeah. limits you know it's like that that's basically yeah the i think world. it is kind of that i mean maybe it's like a new yorker perspective or i i'm thinking it's a everybody perspective unless you're really a country person like we're just so out of touch with how powerful nature is yeah like it's really powerful and it's real and we can't control it you know you just like Oh God, my plane! I can't, I'm so pissed off. Like I can't fly, but it's because like there's a really bad storm. You right. know, like you just can't control it. We think we can fly through anything. Yeah, but you just can't. Right. Oh. <laughs> I know it's weird. It's it, we've become, you know, well, and now like the nature isn't so sublime as it used to be. You know, it's not the the great unknown. Yeah. Really, even though it is, but 
Yeah, it's now it's information. Tricky times. It is in every way. Yeah. It's shifting. I was just talking to my wife about that driving back last night to our place of how I said to her, and may I know this is a good thing to run by you. I feel like in the last five to seven years, things have changed so much more than like the twenty years before that. And is yeah. that just an old getting older thing, or is it is it real that things are just speeding up so much that it's really affecting the way people interact? Or is it just that I'm noticing it at this point in my life? But I feel like between the age of like 10 and 20, not that much happened. Yeah. Or like changed in the way that I was like interacting with people or, you know what I'm saying? I totally know what you're saying and I don't have the answer. Because in a way I want to say, yes, oh my God, everything's going faster. All this technology, we're in a, you know, texting constantly. Like you never get that downtime. Mm -hmm. But then I also remember like when I was in kindergarten through fifth grade, a year of school seemed like eternity and summer seemed forever. But that's young. That's just that's, being Yeah, young. that's a young yeah. thing. And then, but then I hear like, you know, when I talk to my mom or something, it's like, oh, things go so fast. Time goes so fast. Right. So what is time? Like time is such an abstraction. It's so a perspective, right? So I, I do, I personally feel like, yes, things are changing very quickly. I think they are, you know, I do. I, look I, what, politically, look what, Right. has happened in one freaking year like i'm so devastated <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah so yeah we um, don't need to open that can of oh <laughs> my god well that's what especially like you know getting back to the work stuff this is all work that'll be in the show is like all the encapsulation of one year yeah you know it's yeah. all about this year right yeah it's hard to to not let that in in one way or another yeah you, you know? know what i was thinking if i could I just want to make really like pretty pink pieces mm-hmm. <laughs> that can happen. Right. You know, like that's, I'm not like, that's not happening. Cause like it's a reflection of like what's going on. And I don't feel like you, for me personally, like I can't make lightweight things. I can't make things about like beauty. I wish I could. I really wish I could, but yeah. I don't, I, I just find these like devastating times, like really important, you know, like we're on the edge in yeah. so many ways so I just uh, saw I don't I didn't read the article but like you know there was something um, online on the New York Times about like how there's like a new movement of you know, like youth you know getting together to like save the environment like I love all these new movements yeah there's there's some cool stuff there's like some m- very cool in stuff. my kids class they did like TED presentations on the environment. Oh. Some people did some, uh, one student did it on the plastic in the ocean, and they're conscious of it. I mean, it, I feel like, I mean, there's hope. I there don't think it's so. There definitely is hope. There's yeah, I don't think it's God. so doom and gloom. I think, yeah. I think we're, you know, there's, there's shit going on, but it's things are slowly, hopefully, incrementally getting better. We just over need to get some time. young people in office. Right, right. You know, I was, this is talking about straws. I was, um, I went to, uh, tea place yesterday mm-hmm. and I said oh I'm sorry I need a straw for this you know they had straws made out of straw and I was like how duh yeah straws right. made out of straw yes straws are straws like and it was so brilliant and I'm like yeah we just need straws like literally straws to drink out of and yeah. it was or Twizzlers <laughs> yeah, you could do that if, a, if you want to get a couple cavities. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got enough of them. They're everywhere. <laughs> like, they yes. come in packs of a million. So yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. just use Twizzlers from now. 
Yeah. And there's something, there's some bags made in, being made out of seaweed now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I love all this stuff. Like, yeah. yeah. So there, yeah, of course there's that definitely hope. Well, we, <laughs> and we have a great uh, ability, especially in the West, I feel like of, well, once everything hits the fan, yeah. then we'll address it. Like we won't be too proactive about it, but once the environment gets really bad, then we'll sink all this money into it and yeah. then we'll, you know, solar panels and, you know, no gasoline, whatever. Yeah. You'll just wait until it gets really dire. I think Isn't that there. the way we do things? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the way like, we do things. I feel like the fan has been hit. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the way we do things. Just wait until. It is. You know, like in New York, it's like, yeah. we'll just wait until that 150 year old water main just bursts and destroys itself and then we'll put in a nice new one. Yeah. Or the subway, same deal. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's yep. just the way we yeah. do it. Yes. Human nature. Yeah. We live and we learn. <laughs> so you said you listen to NPR in here a lot. Do you listen to music too? Or is I it do. Mostly, yeah? I listen to a lot of uh, NYC NPR. Mm-hmm. And then when I get like too depressed, then I will <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> listen to music. Yes. But I, I also like um, kind of somber music and like my go-to is uh, Elliot Smith. And oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh that's heavy. Oh, I love it. I, you know what? I, it's I, good, but come on. That's I, real dark. I love it. But, you know, I was talking to my yoga teacher about mm-hmm. it because he likes to play it during yoga. Oh, jeez. No, but it's, it's kind of, um, it makes you feel, and that makes you feel human, you know, to, yeah. to, to touch, to touch an emotion. Yeah, I mean, I listened, I like listening to Iggy Pop and Stooges too. Yeah. And I, I love the Beach Boys pet sounds. Like, I, that's a very, I like um, uh, Kurt Vile and Courtney Burnett right now. I've been mm-hmm. listening to a lot. Um, every now and then I turn on a little Jay Retard when I really want to scream in go. the studio. <laughs> I was going to say, what, <laughs> what, what music does your art look like or sound like? Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, like if you had one band or one song to describe one of those pieces, what would it be? Oh my goodness! Oh, why am I forgetting? Um, okay, uh, what's Computer Love? I'm forgetting the band. Um, Computer Love, uh, Craftwork. Yes. Maybe Craftwork. Oh really? Yeah, maybe. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. got it's got a funkiness, but there's an order, but there's a yeah. There's some technology there, but it's being yeah. That's pretty cool. I love Craftwork. I haven't listened to them in a while. Should listen to them. Yeah. It's pretty good. Talking Heads. I mean, how can you go wrong with Talking Heads too? Like, I just reread the uh, David Burns book. Yeah, I didn't read music. it. It's really good. Uh. There's a lot of great sort of. Uh, I don't know. My whole I love paralleling music and art because I think it's they're so different, but yeah. there's so much similarity between the two, and um, there's some really great nuggets in that book about about kind of like you know how to make it and how to be creative and and he talks about the city it's that guy's great yeah brilliant you know years ago when i was in san francisco like a while ago um i don't remember what nights it was but they would have an open night at the museum of modern art and um they this was a long time ago and they'd they play jazz Mm -hmm. in the museum yeah and i was like oh my god this is so awesome because when you go into a museum, it's quiet and you have to be quiet. Right. It's like no artist is, well, rarely is an artist studio quiet. Right. You know, we're, we're, I love listening to jazz too. It's like, I like listening to kind of everything. Um, not opera. I heard you talking to somebody. What was it, Tom? Like, he doesn't listen to opera. We don't listen oh, to right. opera. Anything. <laughs> yeah. ABO, anything but opera. <laughs> Probably. <yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> little Dolly Parton every now and then makes me happy. There you go. She's great. Little Hank Williams Sr. is good. Yeah. I like Hank Williams Sr. It's it's all good. You know, it, I think it's like what mood you're in. You know, you just turn in turn on what, what mood you're in yeah. or what mood you want to attain. Like, what, what do you want to get to? Right. Yeah. Yeah, these seem jazzy, though. Yeah. I, I a certain know. era of post-bop, like when it gets a little loose. Yeah. You know, a few years ago, t- we used to go to the Whitney Head um, Jazz Nights. Oh, yeah. Uh, at the new the new Whitney. Mm-hmm. And in that tiny little theater, oh, my God, it was such a Good. great experience because yeah. it's so personal. And the, the, the musicians are playing right there. You can almost feel their breath. Mm-hmm. And then behind you, you see the boats going by on the Hudson River. And it was just, like, such an amazing... Like, that's a New York thing. Yeah. Like, that's a New York... Like, that's a New York that's so exciting. Like, right. you just have to kind of, like, find these little... Th- like uh, performances or things to do that are just so enriching. Like I like getting out of, you know, my head and seeing other people perform. It's just, it's amazing for me. Music is like so abstract. Like how do you put, how do you put together things that you can't touch? That's the beauty. <laughs> yeah, it's like really exists amazing. It's in a weird invisible plane. You know, there's yeah. no. It just hits your ears and it's gone. It's amazing. It's it, really cool. And it's so democratic, too. You yeah. know, like anybody can anybody can own that moment. It's right. It's great. Yeah. So it, and, well, art's like that, too, in a way. Yeah. You know, it was when um, a few years ago I took my daughter to the Met, mm-hmm. and um, we were looking at these exquisite, um, like, jewel boxes in the French rooms, you know, those... Um, those rooms that have like the Sev uh, right. pottery and then just these like beautiful hotel rooms or whatever those period piece rooms are. And she got really sad. <laughs> I'm like, I am so happy. Like, why are you sad? And she goes, because I know I'll never have this. Like, I want this. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was like, well, you do have it. It's just it's we right own here. it collectively. Yeah. Like, it's at the Met. Like, you own that. Like, that's part, like, you own this. You know, you can come see it whenever you want. It just stays here. Yeah. <laughs> it's safer here anyway. It's a lot safer, <laughs> yeah. You want this in your room. Yeah. So that's the thing about, like, what's so great about museums. It's just, like, we all, you know, it belongs, you know, we all get to have it. We all get to go experience that painting on the wall or the sculpture on the wall. Like we all get to own it in our memories and in, in our presence of looking at it. It's, I mean, that's the gift. <laughs> yeah. It's such a great thing. And you can find one almost anywhere, like wherever you travel to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just went up to Newport, Rhode Island. I love Rhode Island. Oh, it's yeah. so nice. Yeah. We went up with the family. I was like, Oh, Shara has a show at the, Newport Museum just oh, yeah. hopped over it was like five minutes from the beach where we were staying and like a beautiful show right there you know I go yeah. in there's not a single person in the place oh my goodness and I go in have this nice experience checking it out. you know it's such a great thing oh man to and see art alone <laughs> I know right I was like is it are we, am I not supposed to be here right now because there's oh, like no one in there such a luxury you know there was one there was um at the at MoMA a few years ago there was a small Ken Price exhibition and it was it had its own little room, and I, I I really wanted to go see this show, so I got up and I was I was one of the first people in the museum, and nobody was in the room, and I got <laughs> to have it all to myself. Your like, show. Yeah. what an experience! I mean, museums are really crowded in New York. Yeah. So like that is just like when you get those moments of of quiet time in a museum, it's just so luxurious. It really is. Yeah. It's a rarity. The Guggenheim does that sometimes, where they let artists come in and 
see a show when it's just started, like yeah. off hours, and it's kind I of a nice. I want that more. I so w- like, um, you know, you go. I went to the Louvre a few years ago, and like you couldn't even see some of the paintings because everybody had their iPads up. Oh. Taking like you go to the Mona Lisa, and there's like a stack of people like thirty deep, and then they all have their They're big the, iPads. The yeah, and it's like, what's the point? <laughs> And it's covered in glass anyways. You can't even get a good picture of it. <laughs> anyway, there's like a great um, Messina painting right around the corner that yeah, is no, better. It's no, better. And no one's looking Nobody's at it. Nobody's looking That's at the Messina. So it's like, he's one of my favorite painters. And like the picture, there's a the painting of like Christ with the thorns and like the way he painted. It's like you you look at his skin and it's pulsing like it's so alive and i'm like this is a good painting right here and see I, thank goodness for the mona lisa a distraction thank you mona lisa yeah a diversion getting yeah. everyone over there with their phones up yeah that you know and sometimes when i go to shows now that same thing happens yeah where the people like i went to see a guy in miami and he was playing on like it was a small venue it was late late at night really great guy and and but he was playing in the middle of this area. It wasn't up on a stage. Yeah. And like everyone had their phones. It, it looked like um, lightning bugs. Like. Yeah. And you couldn't see him. Right. Everyone was just taking their crappy videos, and you can't hear in an iPhone like a loud. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, performance yeah. like that. It's not gonna sound good. Yeah, I wonder what is that all about. It's just like having to to inst- insta- Instagram it. Yeah. Now it's a necessity to like show people. Yeah. It's just unconscious. It's like I have to prove to people, you know, because a lot of people don't even look at those or won't even watch that video back. It's almost like I just yeah, doing it feels like it's like validating that you were there in a way. Yeah, it's so weird because like, I feel like saying, excuse me, could you please move so I could look at the painting? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, this show they had bouncers yeah. who were like trying to like <laughs> swat at the, <laughs> the people with phones up front. You know what I mean? They're like, get that out of here. Yeah. Which well, is funny. And they yeah. just kept coming back up if they wanted to get their shot. It's like the locusts. Well, at least, <laughs> at least they're into it. Like there at least go. those people were going to see the. There you go, so. and at least you know exactly, and you know people are seeing art, and that's a good thing because, right. you know, um, well, I'll, there's a show that Dan Cameron is putting on right now called Open Spaces out in, um, um, oh my goodness, in um, ah, I'm having a blank. Um, they're trying to bring out people to the Midwest mm-hmm. to look at art, you know, like because art opens up people's minds right. and, and like politics and um, it brings people together. And so, um, yeah, sorry. No, that's great. <laughs> blank. No, but yeah. he's, he's so he's curating a show of like work from, is it a specific it can, in Kansas city? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So it's, I think he's bringing um, many different um, music venues, uh, visual artists all out, to um, Kansas City to um, to bring people there to yeah. bring people and for the um, for people who live there to experience um, art on a different level that's open to everybody and um, try to bring people together. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So what, you have a show coming up. I do. Yeah. Which is I'm so excited. <laughs> do you want to talk about that? Sure. It's um, I recently moved to James Cohan Gallery. Mm-hmm. So this will be my first show with the gallery and um, on 26th on 26th Street. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it opens September 6th. And nice. it's open till I think October 14th or somewhere around there. So, um, yeah, I just basically dedicated this last solid year to just working and um, 
and a lot is I feel like my work's changed a lot and so I'm really happy I'm really excited about this show that's great yeah so people can go see that and you have your website I do which is your name yes kathybutterly.com I guess and uh, but also the James Cohan has the they most up to date like versions of uh, the newer pieces up do there, you do so. social media I do Instagram you do yeah just my name nice <laughs> yeah so people I, can follow you there yeah I, I I just really post um, pretty much just art. <laughs> That's good. Not not pictures of my dog or anything. Yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. You know, I, I like seeing stuff like that, but I don't know. It's like a little window into what I'm thinking. That's cool. Yeah. I can't wait to see the show. Me in too. In all its glory. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait till it's done. Right. I'm still working on exhale. it. Yeah. Yeah, that'd yeah. be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I'm going to clean my studio. It's pretty clean. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it's an or it's disorganized. Like I like to know. Like this is one place. You know, having kids living in the city, this is one place that I can keep like organized and tidy. Everything yeah. else is chaos. Right. So um, as long as you have that one spot, I just need to know where my colors are. I need to have like my glazes lined up in the right colors. And it sounds weird, but or maybe no, not. No, maybe it doesn't it. sound weird. I get it. Yeah. So um, after the show, I will just spend a weekend here organizing and cleaning. And and I find that really therapeutic. Yeah. Do you do that too? Yeah. Yeah. It feels good. Yeah. The overhaul. Yeah. Just get the excess glaze off the the outside of the jar and just clean. And just, it really sets you up for the next. You start fresh. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, thanks for having me over. This was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. (laughs) Thanks. myself, Brian Alfred. Uh, you can check out more about my work at paintchanger.com or at Alfred Studio on Instagram. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I have some uh, paintings that will be up in the Seattle Art Fair with Miles McHenry Gallery. So if you're out in Seattle, please check that out. You can make a significant impact to the podcast by reviewing and rating it on iTunes or spreading the word through word of mouth. Uh, you can find more images of the artist studios that I take whenever I go to the podcasts at soundandvisionpodcast.com. Uh, you can go online and order a tote bag or donate to support the podcast. I've been getting great response and, you know, lots of messages from people in support of the podcast. And I thank you very much for listening to it and for taking the time out to let me know that you enjoy the podcast. And as always, thanks to Michael Lovett and to Lalatone and Logan Takahashi for supplying some music. And another shout out, I teach at the Pennsylvania State University in the art department there. So um, as I'm getting ready to go back to school to teach there a couple days a week, I wanted to let you guys know that they have a great program. So if you're wondering about a good art school to go to, check out Penn State. They have uh, a really great program. Thank you so much for listening.